good evening, uh, CNC family, Lorraine. Good to be with you. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, that time of year. Um, this, uh, this is definitely one of my favorite times of year. Everybody got their Christmas shopping done? All right, no, just starting Christmas shopping. Christmas shopping, baking cookies, right? Uh, what else do we do this time of year? Singing Christmas carols, right? Um, one of the things that one of the things that we like to do, or at least I like to do, is watch Christmas movies. Anybody like watching Christmas movies? And think about some of your favorite Christmas movies. We got like the classics, like It's a Wonderful Life, right? Taking taking you back. Um, one of my personal favorites, Home Alone, Home Alone One and Two, right? Home Alone. Shout out to Home Alone. Did you know that there's actually a Home Alone 3 and 4? Uh, I watched them, and let me do you a favor, don't watch them. <laughs> they really don't count, right? No, they really don't count. Um, one of my favorite Christmas movies is The Grinch That Stole Christmas. Um, yes, shout out to A Grinch That Stole Christmas. Um, it's, really, it's really an awesome story. Uh, if you think about, uh, for those that you know, one or two people in here that may have not seen the movie or any of the different renditions of A Grinch That Stole Christmas, um, it's really about this isolated village called Whoville. Uh, everybody in this village loves Christmas time, filled with joy and laughter, uh, but there's this uh, being person called the Grinch uh, who's green and, and he's mean and he doesn't necessarily live in the city. He lives kind of on the outskirts of the city uh, and his, you know, he, he just, he, he despises Christmas time. And so the whole story is about this assumption, right? He's got this assumption. And his assumption is simply this, that the joy of Christmas is found in the things that you see, touch, taste, hear, and feel. So the idea that uh, Christmas is really defined or uh, comprised of gifts, lights, decorations, food, music, etc., and so as you watch the movie, you kind of see he develops this plan that if I can just remove those things, if I can just remove the gifts and remove all of the, the, the tangibles that we typically associate with Christmas, then I can effectively uh, steal Christmas. Um, and so really, it's, 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 it's actually uh, fairly interesting that, um, well, I'll, I'll come back to that. But uh, if I think about uh, Christmas for me, when I was when I was you know younger, obviously as a kid, you know you can't sleep, excited to to receive gifts, and I still we still do that, and it's still awesome. But it's really interesting because I've had some incredible Christmases when it comes to gifts and memories and all that. But really, the things that I remember and hold on to uh, are those times shared with family, right? Those times that um, you know I, I can't even honestly tell you too many of the gifts that I remember seeing. And so, um, really, the story of the Grinch that stole Christmas, it explores this question of what is Christmas really all about, right? Like, what are we really celebrating, right? Um, and so we can just flip up the title of my message. I call this, this message the Grinch that stole nothing. Oh, I love the font there. Nice, nice job, Matt. <laughs> the Grinch that stole nothing. You know, we find out at the end of the story, uh, and it's really a powerful movie. I just, I love this story. I could watch it all the time. It's that when all of those things that I mentioned are stripped away, the citizens of Whoville, uh, their joy remains intact. It's, it's really a powerful, um, you know, depiction. And so, um, and, and actually, I, kind of, I was doing a little bit of research preparing this message and found out that the city of Whoville itself was actually based on like a Christian community. Right? It's based on the church. <laughs> it's based on us, 
right? It's kind of interesting. And so could it be that many of the things that we tend to preoccupy ourselves with during this time of year, right, and even th- throughout the year, dare I say, are, are thi- are, are, could it be that those are the things that truly bring us joy or, or is it something else? And so I just want to propose to you a, a, really a simple message tonight, uh, s- simple in nature but still much great depth to it, that Christmas is really about three things. And if you want to, let's flip to very, very, very uh, famous verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. This is the love chapter. Um, it says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so um, my key point tonight if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to take this down, that setting our hearts on things above, right, setting our hearts on things above, so faith, hope, love, that's really what Christmas is all about. Colossians 3, chapter 3, verses 1 and 4, excuse me, 3 and 4 says, um, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Verse three, for you, verse four, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, that you will also appear with him in glory. So really, this is how the citizens of Whoville, and dare I say, how we ought to today keep our joy in spite of, of the many oppositions and distractions that we'll face here on earth. And ultimately, as we'll see in the very end of this, this is what led to the Grinch's redemption. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Father God, that you are a redeeming God, that your plan from the very beginning of time was always redemption. Father God, that you constantly draw us, Father God, to greater heights, that you lift us up, Father God, to focus on things that are eternal and the things that are unseen. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We pray, Father God, you would soften our hearts, Lord God, that I would get out of the way and put you on display, Lord God, and we would receive from you. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, so let's take a deeper look at these three. Obviously, faith, hope, and love, these are really the cornerstones, right, of our, of our faith. Um, and so we can do a whole, uh, you know, year, two, three, whatever, a total eternity just on these three. But um, let's just briefly look at these. And really, when we number one, we're going to look at faith. We're talking about faith. We're talking about the idea of trusting God daily. And I'll try to distinguish, uh, although it's quite subtle, the difference between faith and hope here in a moment, but really trusting God daily, right? Uh, It's the idea of you're you're, you're placing your affections on the things above. Hebrews 1 and 11 says, now faith is the assurance. Really, if you look up the meaning here, one of the meanings in the Greek that I liked was the steadfastness of the mind. Like your mind isn't wavering. You're sure of it. Of the things hoped for and the convictions of the things not seen. Okay, so we'll come back on and talk about hope here in a little bit. Um, But just stay with faith here for a second. It's very much putting your assurance in the things that are not seen. So not in our houses, right? Our cars, our careers, Christmas gifts, etc. right? That, those things are nice. Those things we are called to steward and manage. Uh, again, so I'll come back to that in a little bit, getting ahead of myself. But that's not what we ground our faith in. Amen? Amen. So Hebrews 11 and 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, I mean, this, 
this is kind of funny. I, I love this verse because it says, whoever will draw near God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So it's very much integral. Faith is integral to the foundation of, of, of our walk with Christ. So if you go through the Bible, it's really interesting. Even all the way back to the Old Testament, there's so many examples we can give. But, if you, but it really, they really center on one central theme, and that's just simply this, trusting God. Like trusting God. If you think about it, like I came up with a couple examples I'm going to rattle off here. Uh, tried to find ones that were not as like, um, well, I mean, these are all well documented, but, but seemed to be obscure at the time. Like Moses striking the rock the second time. Uh, Abraham and Hagar. Davis taking the census and not, not giving an associated uh, sacrifice. Peter, of course, taking his eyes off of Jesus. And even the people of Nazareth that, that lacked faith uh, when, their, when their hometown son came home, right? Like... All of these things are about the same thing. They're about taking our eyes and hearts off of what we see and transporting them to what we don't see. Very simple to say, very, very can be challenging uh, to walk out. And so the question simply is this, is like, okay, why, right? Like, what is, what is the big deal with faith? I've never asked that question. I'd encourage you in your times with the Lord to just ask why. Sometimes, many times, God's not going to answer it, right? But it's okay sometimes to get in your time, your presence with the Lord, and just ask these questions why. So here's what I found about faith. Faith is closely linked. This is a human thing, right, how, how we're designed. Faith is closely linked to worship. Let me say it again. Faith is closely and very closely linked to worship. Another way to say it is we tend to worship that which what we draw sustenance from. That which what you can rely on. That's which what protects you. I'm going somewhere. So, so, so it's those things that we trust, we tend to start worshiping, right? It's like, it's, again, many examples I can pull from the Bible, but this was, this was Israel's struggle when they demanded a king. Watch this verse um, in 1 Samuel. See, see, when they demanded a king, there had already been some history with Israel. It's not like Israel became a nation and then they just had their king, right? It was like, no, there was a long book of judges, right, to read about, okay, when there was no, like, one central leader, all right? And so after a time, I encourage you to go check out 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. It's, it's, it's very profound. But in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says, That we also may be like all nations, and that our king may do what? May judge us and go out for us and fight our battles. It was a struggle for Israel to rely on a king they couldn't see. They knew they had needs. They knew there was risks. They knew there was enemies around them. They had experienced, at this point, punishment and slavery and all kinds of horrible things. So it was very, 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 very tempting for them to not want to continue to rely on the Lord, but rely on something that they see. This is why idol worship was so prevalent in the Old Testament and really even today. It's because we have this natural proclivity to take our eyes off of what we do don't see and put it on what we see. And this is also why Jesus said we cannot serve God and money. Or let me just even generalize this because he said mammon, just things that we place value on. You know, you think about it, I'll just, you know, you didn't, you didn't know that tithing is related to Christmas. <laughs> so sorry. It's, it's, it's very much connected. Why is, I'm going to go into this in a little bit, why is money the primary thing we place our trust in? Well, what is money? I share this quite often. If you, if you do a, a, a study on this and 
Uh, I, I didn't get this revelation in church. I got this revelation uh, when I was, you know, studying finance in my undergrad studies. But if you look this up, uh, money or what we call money today is simply this. It is a tangible form of trust. Money literally is. If you could hold trust, that's what it would look like. It's literally what our whole economic system is founded on. It's founded on trust. Any uh, economist would tell you this. Okay? And so if you think about giving and tithing, the whole idea is it's transferring your trust, right, from something like gold, money, even food, some of the things that we, we trust that are always going to be there for us every day, and we're transferring that over to the Lord and saying, Lord, I trust you above all these things that I see, right? Proverbs 11 and 28 says, whoever trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And so I, you know, I think this example, uh, I, I've used this before, but if you think about your phone, your computer, your iPad, right, it's like, you know, you, you have data, pictures, and stuff stored down locally, and a lot of the things that we, a lot of this today, we don't even store it locally, but uh, this, this, this analogy is getting a little bit outdated, but you, some of us may even still have it stored down locally, and the idea is that if you were to lose that phone, lose that iPad, or whatever it is, right, before you did what? Back it up to the cloud, it'd be lost forever. See, the idea of giving is very much just like that. Giving, tithing, it's literally taking, you know, what you have and you're saying, you know, Lord, I'm going to back it up to the cloud. I trust you more. I'm putting my trust in heavenly places. Um, there was a, uh, oh, let me go, go back. <laughs> there was, um, you know, my, my kids, you know, when you have, when you have kids, it's so, so interesting because there's things that you know beforehand, and it's almost like things that you know they'll enjoy, right, but they don't know it yet. So, so they, they really have to, like, trust you, right? I think swimming is the example I gave, uh, I came up with. I remember, you know, really, you know, actually my youngest son, he's still not there yet. So this, is still, this will still be in, in flight for him next year. But my, my two oldest, you know, we tried to encourage them to get in the water, go swimming, learn how to swim. And all it was met with was the response of fear, right? They were afraid and all of this and that. And, and long story short, uh, something clicked this past summer where they got in the water and still really can't swim all that well and just you couldn't get them out of the water, right? They loved it, right? So, so what am I saying? The, the reality is, is that the very thing that they were fearful of, now they find joy in, right? And so again, this is just illustrating the point that there's so many, it, it's, it's, it, it, could, it could be fear, it could be, um, uh, it ultimately is faith in terms of we need to trust what we don't see, we need to trust in the Lord, Versus what we do see. Um, even if, I, one more example from the Old Testament, and I'll move on. Um, Pastor Becca shared about this a couple weeks ago. It's so good. And it's the story of when God provide, provided manna, right, from heaven uh, to the Israelites. Manna literally translates as, this is so powerful, as it literally means, what is it? And so, so it means, so, so if you think about this, right, they were in, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness. They didn't have any food. Right? God supernaturally provided something. They didn't even know what it was. They just knew that it provided them sustenance. It carried them from day to day. And then there was even like rules about how much of it you could keep and so on and so forth. Right? Well, what's the whole point? Again, it's trust. God's not necessarily concerned with like the actual vehicle. He's really concerned in who's the, who's, who's the, who's the one that the, the hand that the vehicle is in. Right? And so that ultimately leads me to God's plan. On each one of these points, I, I, I encourage you to write these down as that because because here's what happens right 
we, 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 we hear the message of faith, we then receive it, and we're like, okay, God, I trust you, right? And here's what God does. It's kind of, it's kind of ironic what he does. What he does after all of that, he says, okay, you trust me, so here, I'm going to give it right back to you, right? So what happens is, especially if you think about, like, money, God literally wants us to be stewards. We use this fancy word, stewards or managers, okay? So I wrote this down, and this is specifically, not all these points, but this one um, was a revelation I got relatively recent, and, and it's very specific to, to me and in my heart, but I forgot to share it. It says, because all our trust is in Christ— we are to take our place as stewards. This is God's plan for our, our walk of faith. We are to take our place as stewards or managers. However, God wants us to treat his kingdom like we're the owners. That's so good. I can go, I, I, there's so much I want to say here, but I have to move on. But it's almost like, let me just say one thing, because you, know, you can go to the parable of the vineyard. I mean, there's so many stories, right? But it's almost like if I were to say, here, I want to loan you my mansion. Okay, if I have a mansion, but I'm going to go overseas for a couple years. Okay, it's not your mansion. However, you're going to live in the mansion as if it's yours. Does that kind of make sense a little bit? Like this is it's, it's, so God wants us to take ownership, take ownership of our faith, take ownership of all the things right that He's given us to steward. We're not to just neglect money, right? We're to steward it properly. Okay, so so much more I can say there, but I'll move on. Say one more thing. <laughs> all right, Pastor. Yeah, all right. So it's the own message in and of itself. So, so, yes, faith is full trust in God, but understand that each one of us carries an assignment. We each carry resources. This is the parable of the talents. That's another great story that we are to be responsible for as if it was ours, right? And God honors that. Amen? All right. Number two, hope. Hope. So number one, was, let me go grab it again, is faith, the idea of trusting God daily, placing your affections on things above, okay? Hope is this idea of hoping in God for the future, right? There's something far off or there's something in the distance, okay? Not so much every day, but in the distance. And so it's not just placing your affections on the things above, but keeping your affections on the things above, okay? Subtle difference. Let me, let me, let me just try to, try to break this one down. This one's very, these are very closely linked. Biblical hope is built on faith, okay? Let me just give you this definition. Hope is the earnest anticipation that, th- that comes with believing something good. Hope is confident expectation that naturally stems from faith. Hope is a peaceful assurance that something hasn't happened yet. It will indeed happen, okay? So let, let me, a um, couple examples here. Uh, well, actually, what, what, one more here is, is that faith is like a vehicle, right? We all, we've heard this all the time. Faith is like a car, right? It's a vehicle, not, a, not, an electric car, not an electric car, but faith is a vehicle. Hope is the fuel, okay? Hope, faith is a gas power vehicle. Hope is the fuel. Hope is the gas. Both are necessary for our journey. It's like this. Kids excited for Christmas. I started off this message talking about that, okay? So, even right now, my, my kids, so many kids, that, you know, you know even, even some adults, right? Start, you start to build up this, like, excitement that Santa Claus is coming. <laughs> uh, yes, Santa Claus is coming, right? Santa is coming as faith. Oh, Santa's coming. That's, that's faith. You believe in Santa Claus. You have faith in Santa, okay? Hope is that belief as it kindles, joy wells up each day that steps forward towards Christmas. Does that make sense? That's kind of how they work together. 
You know, I think about um, in, in my own life, um, I won't, I, there's, you know, well, and I'll just, I can be brief here, but um, when I, before I met my wife, like, God gave me a number of confirmations that um, he had solidified someone for me, you know, my future wife, okay? And you can talk to me later about, like, what those confirmations were, but, but that was the faith. But I never forget, like, there was a particular summer that led up to the fall that before I met my wife, Amanda, there was, like, this hope that was, like, building up, right? It was that faith matched with hope, right? And so... Um, even, even if you think about um, as, as all believers, right, we, we believe in Christ, but we're also longing for his return, right? We're hopeful. I mean, this is one of the biggest things that we place our hope in is that he didn't just die, raise again, and ascend to heaven, but he's coming back one day, amen? And so we put all of our hope in that day. We don't know the day of hour, but our hope is in the fact that he will return, right? John 16, says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So it's this idea that knowing the best is to come, right? Like Jesus, he told us when he left that this world, this life was not going to be easy, but we can have hope that there is something better on the horizon, right? There's something better on the horizon. It's, it's, also, it's also like this, um, and forgive me for all the analogies, but this is just kind of what helps me separate the two here. But, but it's like hope is the tether, Jesus is the anchor, right? So if you think about an anchor that, that's like firmly anchored in the ocean floor, right? That tether or that string that gets attached from, from you all the way to Jesus is hope, right? That's hope. Hebrews 6 and 18 and 19 says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have, who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure, steadfast anchor of the soul. That's so good. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, right? When, 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 I, when I heard this example, I immediately thought of uh, what, I, what I've heard uh, before about hurricanes and that when a hurricane is brewing, like there's, we always think about hurricanes when they make landfall, but there's always like hurricanes and storms at sea. And so what happens is um, as that happens, fish kind of intuitively know to go deeper, right? They swim way deeper. And as a result, they're not really impacted by the wind and how the wind moves the water around, right? And so really that's what hope is like. It's like literally going way deeper, right? Anchoring our hope in Christ. So that way, when the storms of life rage and blow around and things happen and you know, all of that, right? Amen. We still have hope, right? Just like Whoville, right? All the Christmas gifts got taken away. And they were out there singing, you know, we wish you a Merry Christmas, whatever it is they were singing, all right? So really, there's like this ongoing, like daily admonition to separate our hearts from the world. And that's really the heart of my message here, right? And again, it's not to indict, you know, the Christmas carols and the cookies. I love all that stuff, right? But as we live every day, there should be this increasing separation from the things of this world, right? Like the, like the old song hymn goes, like this world will grow uh, like strangely dim, right? Just, I think of, a, uh, what is the analogy I used to use? It was fruit stripe bubblegum. Anybody remember fruit stripe bubblegum? It's so good the first couple of chews, right? You get maybe like two or three, and then it tastes like cardboard. <laughs> like that's how this world is. This world is like fruit stripe bubblegum, right? To long for a time with glorification with him. I'm convinced of this, that when we get to heaven, I just feel like there's going to be a lot of emotions. But I think laughter will be one of them because 
we'll just shake our heads saying, why did we just spend so much time worrying about these things, right? Like literally we'll be blown, like our minds will be blown, right, constantly. Um, for Philippians chapter 1, verse 23 says, uh, and again, this is, this is, this is really what, what you know, Paul's kind of talking about this. I am hard-pressed between the two. He's like, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, right? For that's far better. It's like if anybody had the you know, opportunity to go with Christ right now, I think we, any, all, any of us would go. And I don't think anybody would judge anybody for that, right? But he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. In other words, there still is an assignment. So, so God's plan, what is, our, what is God's plan for hope? Because our hope is in Christ, we can do work until he returns. I don't have the scripture reference. I think it might be in Luke somewhere, but this is kind of what Jesus talks about. He says, look, you know, don't, be, uh, don't go off and isolate yourself, right? Uh, do business. Do work until I return. Be about the Father's business. Knowing that our peace lies with him uh, is not in the temporary joys of this world. Number three, love, Okay. So if, if faith is all about, so let's just bring this home here. If faith is all about trusting in God daily, placing your affections on the things above, and hope is really about hoping in something greater for the future and keeping your affections above, what's love about? Love is love for God and others unconditionally, and ultimately your affections become him. Your affections become him. It's like so much of, our, of the foundation of our walk with Christ centers on our trust in him, right? When we don't know what's going on, when, we don't, when, our, when our lives are getting flipped upside down, and our hope for a better future with him, to a, uh, our better future with him when the world around us is falling apart. But there is a place of intimacy with the Father that God longs all believers to rest in, where nothing else matters but loving him and expressing his love to a dying world. Remember the greatest commandment, right? Love God with all your heart. Love others the same. It's, it's really um, this, this picture of the old covenant versus the new covenant, um, the, the law, right, of the old covenant versus the new covenant, which is the law of love. It, it's like in the Old Testament, right, um, there was a lot of, you know, things that the priests and the people had to do to earn righteousness, even for just a season or for a day. And, and the problem was, is that they could preconceive something in their hearts, right? Something evil in their hearts. Just go and read the, the books of the prophets. You'll see that they would keep up with the law, but at midnight, for example, they would go out and do heinous things, right? What was the problem is that their, their hearts were still distant from God, right? They were just fulfilling tasks, right, at, at the, on the mind level and on the physical level, but not on the heart level, right? When, when Christ came and died and rose again, now we are under the law of the new covenant, which is the law of love. That, that, let me just explain a little, let me explain a little bit like this. It's like this. We, 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 a lot of times, especially I remember when I was in college and high school, you know, I'd be ministering to, to, to people or sharing the gospel, and they say, look, they ask me this question. I'm sure you guys have probably heard this before. They say, can I be a Christian? I'd be a Christian, but can I still be a Christian and do this? Right? In other words, justifying an action, right? justifying a list of justifications. Can I be a Christian and drink? Can I be a Christian and, and sleep whoever I want to sleep with? And so on and so forth. Right? You know, I, I mentioned I'm married already. It's, it, that would be like this. It would be like saying, I don't uh, you know, speak to my wife harshly, right? And as a result, just because I don't speak to her harshly, as a result, I love her. 
It's like, no, that logic is backwards, right? No, no, no. I, it, goes, it should go like this. I love my wife. As a result, I speak to her in loving ways. In other words, my love for her isn't defined by the things that I'm not doing to her. It's defined by the intimate pursuit of her, right? It's, it's a big difference. This is the law of love, right? You don't just come to church because God asked you to. You come to church because the Holy Spirit changed your heart. And now when you wake up, you're like, man, there's no other place I'd rather be, right? That work is only possible in the supernatural realm. It's only possible with the Holy Spirit. We always talk about this, coming in and performing heart surgery on the heart. It's like I share this one all the time with my kids. It's like I tell them to clean the room and they reluctantly listen to me because I'm the father and they do it. But real love is them waking up and saying, you know, I feel like cleaning my room today. Well, it's like nobody wants to clean your room. Like what little kid wants to do that? That takes a miracle, right? That takes a supernatural <laughs> change of heart. That's what love is all about. But, um, but the reality is, is God is not like Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> if, you could, if, you, if, you could, if you know who that is, uh, Lo- Lo- I, grew, I grew up watching Looney Tunes and, you know, um, you know, he, Pepe Le Pew was a skunk that was like always trying to force his love on this other skunk, or I don't know if it was one or was it a cat? Is it a cat? Yeah, yeah, it was a cat. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking there was one. There was one episode where he got the the, the, the cat. I think got painted as a, something happened. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> see how long it's been since I watched that. But point is, God's not like that. He 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 doesn't force himself. Right? He draws us near. He draws us constantly. Draws us. See, see, love is the catalyst for the redemptive work. Love is the catalyst. John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world. It's the catalyst. Love was the catalyst. So he gave. 1 Peter 4 and 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love conquers a multitude of sins. You go back to the story of the Grinch. You, you can see at the very end, it's so powerful. And even before the end, there, was, there were some moments uh, in the story that they loved the Grinch even despite of who he was. It was love. And as a result, at the very end, it was love that caused the Grinch's heart to grow three sizes bigger. It was love that transferred, that, that literally uh, transformed him. And so a um, couple of points here on love is that, you know, once you look at Romans chapter 10 when you have, a, when you, when you have some time because you understand that you, you can't love what you haven't seen, right? Like, you, you can't love what hasn't been uh, revealed to you, right? Um, we, re- we need the revelation of Jesus. We always talk about this when we're in worship, when we're, 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 we're um, you know, are, are going and are, are, are coming, are going, are lying down, are waking up. We constantly are in need. Our souls are constantly in need for fresh revelation of who, of who Jesus is. I gave this example a few weeks ago in, in Valley View, and I saw this video uh, on social media somewhere, and it was, so, it was so powerful. It illustrated this point very well. It was a, a little boy who was maybe two or three years old, and the father presented two options to this boy. He said, um, I want, I'm going to give you two cookies, and he, uh, two Oreo cookies, and he slid the cookies in front of the boy. And he said, or... I'm going to give you $10,000. Oh, man, you just, this, this, this boy was two or three. So after kind of looking at the cookies and like pondering the offer, the boy took the cookies. What's the point? The boy had no revelation of the value of $10,000. I mean, how many Oreos could, although inflation is going up, so I don't know. No, the Oreos, you might, might not be able to buy as many Oreos, Pastor, as, as before, but $10,000, you could buy a ton of Oreos. But there was no revelation. 
right, of the value of $10,000 versus the Oreos. And, and so many times this is how we are when we choose other things over Jesus, right? We just don't have, we're choosing the Oreos when it's like, you know, we need a revelation of Jesus, of the real thing. As a result of that revelation, a, that's where the love comes. That's where a deep, intimate following of Jesus comes. And so God's plan is simply this. The revelation of Christ would draw his sons or heirs in the kingdom of heaven. That's it. A revelation of Jesus. And so in closing, redemption is the greatest story ever told. So powerful. The, the redemption story um, any story about redemption, it always helps me think of the cross. It's the greatest story ever told. Again, like God literally could have scrapped it, <laughs> right? He literally could have gave up. But God knew from the very beginning of time, even before time, that Jesus was always the plan. God is the author of this story, and this story of redemption is very central to his heart. And I think maybe the Grinch himself said it best. He goes, maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. Redemption is what Christmas is ultimately about. So the reality is, is that um, the Grinch became who he was. He became the Grinch because, if you look even further into the story, because of his hurts and pains, because of the things that he had been through, right, when he was, especially when he was young, okay? Um, and it's interesting, if you look at the history of this, Dr. Seuss himself based the character of the Grinch on himself, I don't know if you knew that. So the story of the Grinch is really a story about Dr. Seuss's real life. More specifically, he said the inspiration was drawn, um, the, of the character was drawn, um, as he went through a difficult period of his time when his wife had health problems. So all of that pain, and I believe in even in real life, those health problems occurred around Christmas time, so he associated that, all that pain with Christmas, and as a result, became, became Grinchy, right? And so really, you've got two choices, right? All of us in here in some way, shape, or form, whether it be current or in the past, have gone through pains and hurts and disappointments and all of that, right? Remember what Jesus said, in this world you will have tr your trouble, right? So you got two choices. You can hold on to the pain and become bitter or ultimately trust God, right? That is, God can take the same tragedy and turn it into a, a triumph just like he did for the Grinch. Hebrews 3 and 15 says, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I'm, I'm going to close by saying this, and we can all stand. The worship team can come up. Um, there's, there's these videos that I've seen on social media. They're so powerful. And I don't know if anybody has seen them, but they're, they're videos of, like, someone... Um, restoring an old object. Anybody ever seen these? So you might have like a old uh, firearm or something like that from like World War II that's all rusted out and corroded, right? You may have an old like electronic uh, DVD player or something like that, Nintendo number one or something. It'll have all kinds of dirt and grime and rust on it. And someone discarded that thing many years ago. And it's so interesting because as um, you watch the video, um, really, these three points come to life as that object gets restored. And it's so satisfying to watch because at the end of the video, the thing looks brand new. First, the person restoring it, right, which is God in this analogy, he sees it restored. I just want you to know that, like, if you're in here and you do feel like 
you've been discarded, rejected, gone through things, God already sees you restored. He saw it when he was on the cross. It's, it's so awesome how he could see, th- see a thing so beautiful out of what's been rusted and corroded and thrown away, right? But there's also this process of restoration, right? That's the hope part, right? Like there's this process that takes place. There's cleaning, right? There's fixing. There's all the works that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts as we move forward in our walk with the Lord. And then finally, there's this finished work, right? And that really speaks of God's love for us. It speaks of complete redemption. And so let's just close our eyes and bow our hearts. And just for, just for a moment, you know, it's Christmas time, but truly this is what Christmas is all. This is why Jesus came. It wasn't for Christmas trees. It wasn't for presents. It, it's so that Jesus would one day, he'd live a perfect life and one day die on a cross. So that because of that sacrifice, now we can be restored to. Now we can be redeemed all because of him. So the prayer is just simple tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you are a redeeming God. That you are a redeeming God. You sent your son to die on the cross. And because of that, Father God, you're so long-suffering. Every day we wake up, we fall, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Father God, that constantly you're looking to redeem. You're looking to restore that which has been lost. So we honor you, Father God. We thank you so much, Lord, for everyone in here this evening, everyone watching online. We truly do declare you, Father God, as Lord, as your son, the one true son, the only one whose blood paid the price, Father God, for our redemption. So as a result, Father God, we trust in you. We We hope in you and we love you. Mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 If you're in here this evening and you need prayer for anything, um, Holy Spirit's been working in your heart. Want to invite the altar ministers up, altar ministers up. You can come get prayer. Um, but with that, we love you. Live right. Love everyone. Pray hard. Merry Christmas, everyone.